Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension, and I am joined today by our reliable uh, field educators here. So we have Katie Parker, our local foods educator in Quincy, Illinois. Hello, Katie. Hey, Chris. How's it going? I'm actually pretty happy to see some rain right now. It was getting a little dry, so I watered my plants yesterday. And, of course, it rained, but I'm not really minding it right now. No, we definitely needed it. Yes, yeah, and definitely I'm already seeing corn and beans popping up in the fields and, and you know, uh, other fruit and vegetable growers, they're, they're starting to get harvest for market, so it's actually a welcome sight right now. Right. This warm weather is nice, too. Yeah, I am not going to complain about it not freezing at night. And then we also have uh, Ken Johnson, horticulture educator uh, with U of I Extension in Jacksonville, Illinois. Hello, Ken. Hello, Chris. I, I will say I don't mind frost. I like cold weather. Oh, that's that's the Viking in you, though. <laughs> <laughs> and today we are going to be talking about uh, all about weeds. And we have our weed specialists. Uh, we have Michelle Wiesbrock with us. Uh, Michelle is with the Pesticide Safety and Education Team at the U of I uh, campus with Extension. So welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So Michelle, tell us a little bit about, well, I guess let's just start about your role with um, with the PSEP team, and we call it PSEP for short, but could you help describe what does PSEP mean, first of all, in case I didn't say it correctly? <laughs> sure. It's um, Pesticide Safety Education Program, and um, we are based at the uh, University of Illinois campus. Um, we provide um, safety education uh, training clinics across the state uh, for those who wish to become licensed uh, to apply pesticides for hire or even to apply restricted-use pesticides on their own land. So I, I'm curious, Michelle, you know, a lot of us are stuck inside with uh, the current situation in Illinois, the shelter in place order. Um, a lot of the testing and training that you provide is kind of based on a face-to-face -face, uh, classroom uh, method. Uh, what would folks that are interested in becoming licensed uh, pesticide applica applicators, what would they do we have alternatives for them this year? What are some options for them? We do, Chris. Um, yes, we had to cancel several clinics um, this year due to COVID. Um, so, uh, but you know, the show the show must go on. Uh, people still need to get licensed uh, for their employment. So um, things have changed a bit. The uh, testing um, and uh, for obtaining a license is now available online. Um, and that's just on a limited basis. Um, for details on that, you would have to uh, contact the Illinois Department of Agriculture. Actually, their website uh, would be the place to start, and you can find um, details there about how to register for that testing. Um, and of course, um, people can um, study on their own, um, and we have materials available that um, they can order. Um, also, we have some um, trainings that are available on our website. Uh, so if you go to www 
www.pesticidesafety.illinois.edu. You can find more information there. And we can have links to those websites below in the, the show notes for the podcast. Uh, Michelle, I, I'm also curious in terms of career path. Um, this, this is kind of a question we ask to all new guests that come on the podcast. Um, why weed science? Why, why the role that you're in right now? Was it something from as a kid, just something you fell into? Tell us a bit more about how you got the or chose the career that you're in right now. I know it, it's kind of a funny thing when you tell people that um, your your area is weed science. Um, historically, I will get, um, you know, kind of a funny reaction out of people um, or certainly if you wear uh, our weed science shirts uh, out in public, um, people will comment on those always. Um, I guess it's something I just kind of fell into. Um, I grew up on a farm and as a kid, uh, my dad uh, made us kids walk beans, and I walked a lot of beans and hated every minute of it. Um, so by the time I hit college, I I was interested in agriculture. Um, I, I I really thought there had to be a better way uh, to control all of those weeds out in the field than than walking all those rows individually. Um, and I was just kind of gently led by my advisors. Um, ended up being a, a major in agronomy crop protection uh, with more of a focus on weeds. Um, you know, had an internship and worked in the weeds lab and um, then stayed for grad school. And um, so then as I was finishing up grad school, my position came open and they needed a weed specialist with the pesticide safety education program. And I just kind of fell into it, honestly. Um, but, um, you know, kind of looking back over time, I think uh, when I was young, I was I was kind of interested in weeds. I um, I made a dried weed um, arrangement. It was a wreath uh, as a 4-H project when I was a kid. And I also distinctly remember um, teaching kids that I babysit about weed ID. Um, I would quiz them on different weeds. I do recall that. So um, so it's been a long-term interest, I guess, and uh, I, I still enjoy weeds, um, oddly enough. I have seen some of those 4-H projects, and you're just like, you, you look at them and you're like, you are a a, a nerd about weeds, or in, in a lot of cases, <laughs> you are a nerd about insects for the entomology 4-H sections. And, <laughs> You know, it, it's a special breed of people, and we're so happy to have you because there's there's no other constant, I think, in gardening, farming, landscaping, and then you're going to have weeds, and you're going to have to deal with them. So we are very happy to have people like you, whom <laughs> I, I'm sure I pester you way too much with my questions. Oh, <laughs> so no. Thank you so much. Anytime. And speaking of questions, we do have some that have come in from... Uh, from online, we've asked some of our, our local residents in our neck of the woods. And it, I really think, especially with this year, a lot more folks are staying at home. Uh, a lot more folks are just tinkering around in their landscapes and gardens. And so we are getting a lot of weed questions. Um, basically, you know, we usually put a call out to social media. It did not take much for us to get uh, pretty much uh, five questions. And, you know, we usually try to just stick to five questions. That's all the time we have for them in a show. So uh, 
we actually have a lot more, Michelle. So if you want to come back again and again and again, <laughs> love to have you. Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, but our, our first question comes from Doug, uh, and he's in Knox County. And he just wants to know, what can he do about weeds growing in the driveway? Um, I'm guessing in terms of driveway, it might be gravel or asphalt. But, you know, uh, we have a concrete one, and we've got dandelions poking through uh, that as well. So what do you think, Michelle? Sure. Um, well, I mean, aside from adding more gravel, um, which may or may not be an option, um, and certainly if you have concrete, that's not an option for you. Um, so um, weeds that are growing in the cracks, maybe in the concrete, um, could perhaps be hand removed, all depending on how easy they are to get to. Um, you could use um, maybe a dandelion fork or a, an old knife. Um, you have to be really careful using knives, of course. Um, but that could be an option depending on your situation. Um, certainly another route to take uh, would be to use a uh, maybe a non-selective herbicide such as glyphosate um, could be used in those cracks in the driveway. Um, and, and, you know, for larger areas, if you, you've got a, a gravel driveway, uh, perhaps maybe using a, a soil sterilant. Um, so um, they can be used for um, controlling all of your vegetation and then preventing uh, new plants from germinating so, so that you would achieve total vegetation control. Um, so with soil sterilants, um, some of them are very long lasting. Uh, you do have to be careful, though, because some can be mobile in the soil. Um, so if there are nearby plants, they might be affected. Um, and, and you really want to read and follow those labels carefully. And the label will guide you about um, maybe locations that you should not apply them to. Uh, maybe on like a, a slope, you know, on a hill, because they've been known to, to slide down hills and, and kill off uh, susceptible vegetation. Um, so just some concerns there. Um, otherwise, um, sterilants can, can work, you know, very well and, and keep your weed pressure down a long time. Um, some options for you, um, certainly uh, an active ingredient that you might look for uh, in, your, in your garden centers uh, would be uh, diclobinil. Um, uh, it, it's one. This one, uh, you might have better luck uh, applying it maybe in late fall, uh, early spring. We're kind of getting into later spring now. Um, some other products, um, actually there are several products that have glyphosate as the base. Um, and then they would, it would be mixed in um, with another active ingredient that would provide that residual control. Uh, or perhaps um, it might be uh, have a, an active ingredient that's spiked in to provide quicker control. Um, and there are also 2,4-D and dicamba-based products too. Uh, but typically, uh, you would look at your garden center for a product that um, would have like extended control in the title or it might say year-long control, or it might just say soil sterilant. Um, do keep in mind that these um, are, uh, I guess, the, the how long they last is um, dependent on your weather conditions. Um, so if we have a really wet, warm spring, these products will break down faster, and um, you'll find weeds popping up a lot sooner, uh, perhaps, than the label might tell you at first. Um, do keep in mind, too, with these products that these are not labeled for use in the garden. So um, we've had cases where um, maybe 
you know, there's two different products. Maybe they both have Roundup in the trade name. And um, you've got a homeowner that um, grabs the wrong jug to use in some flower beds and then realizes later that they grabbed the jug that had the soil sterilant in it. Uh, maybe it's got a mazapir or a mazapic in it. Um, so that, of course, can prevent um, you from planting into those areas and can cause a lot of damage uh, to those garden beds. So it's, it's really important to read and follow those labels carefully. I was just thinking about, Michelle, just we could all contribute to a book of pesticides that have been applied uh, or mishandled. Um, just I know I had a recent call with a client that accidentally applied Roundup, and it's the extended control Roundup, to their lawn thinking it was a broadleaf herbicide. Yes. That was that terrible. Yes. Yes. And there's yeah. not much you can do in those situations, you know. Um, you could apply um, activated charcoal um, uh, or, you know, just, and really that can be expensive and there's a lot of math involved. Um, sometimes you just wait it out and um, receive that lawn later once the um, product has, uh, has, you know, broken apart. All right. Uh, next question. Uh, Kathy in Warren County uh, asks, what works best on knotweed and black mitic? Oh, yes, knotweed. Um, so we have a lot of knotweed out there now. Um, knotweed uh, is actually a warm season annual, but it germinates really early in the spring. It's one of the first uh, warm season annuals to germinate. And um, it's, it does very well in compacted soils um, and, and really drought conditions. Um, so a lot of times once our, you know, once we get into the summer and maybe it stops raining and uh, some other um, plants um, go dormant, uh, we still see knotweed doing quite well there. So it really stands out. Um, knotweed will uh, form large mats and it has um, stems that become very wiry, uh, especially in, in, in drought conditions. Um, it has a pretty thin taproot, though, so if you get to it early, um, you could be able to just hand pull that plant uh, if you can find uh, the base of that plant. Um, also, if it's growing in turf grass, um, that's a good indicator that there's compacted soils there. So um, you could use core aerification to get more oxygen to that area so the turf grass can, can grow uh, more easily. Um, there are herbicides that you can use for knotweed. Um, certainly in a turf grass situation, um, uh, some post-emergent options would include 2,4-D and dicamba. Um, for uh, pre-emergent options, because it germinates so early, um, you could apply your pre-emergent products in the fall even, and those would include things like pendimethalone and prodiamine. Uh, if you have knotweed growing in a landscape situation, there are actually several pre-emergent products um, that are available um, that could be used. Um, and if it's, you know, if it's already germinated and you, you're in need of a, a post-emergent option, that becomes a little trickier. Uh, you could try glyphosate. I have found that glyphosate is not always um, super effective on this weed, especially when conditions are drier. Um, you know, and if it's been hot, uh, of course, um, those conditions make weed control more challenging in general. 
you asked about black medic as well. Uh, black medic is another one of those weeds that really thrives in drought conditions. Um, it also does well in low fertility settings um, because it's it's a legume and it has the ability to make its own nitrogen. Um, black medic is one that can be confused with clover uh, because it's got those three uh, leaflets. Uh, but you'll find on black medic that the central leaflet is stalked. So it's on a, a little stalk, if you will. Uh, also, once it's in bloom, it becomes easier to identify. Uh, the flowers are uh, bright yellow, they're pea-shaped, and they grow in clusters. And with black medic, um, this one too has a, a pretty shallow taproot. Um, so you could just hand pull this plant. Um, if you've got it growing in a landscape, um, uh, well, actually, I should say, if you had it last year, had a lot of it in a landscape, and perhaps um, you want to prevent this plant from growing, there are several pre-emergent um, products that um, are effective on black matic. Um, so some homeowner products that um, should have pretty easy access to would include things like trifluralin, uh, dithiapyr, and isoxaben. Um, if you've got it in a turf grass setting, though, um, really most of our broadleaf herbicides should be effective on this weed. Um, of course, you would, um, when you're choosing a product, you would always want to read that product label and check to see if your weed um, that you need to control is indeed listed there on the label for you. Yeah, going back to that knotweed, that's the primary weed we have in our driveway. We've got a gravel driveway. And that's pretty much everything that's in there. Yes. When I was uh, growing up, we had a field drive that was primarily knotweed. And when I was a kid, I thought that was a grass. You know, when it when it first comes up, the cotyledons are really narrow and it looks like a grass. Um, and it will just, you know, it forms a pretty big matted area. You know, it, it works well in those areas and <laughs> certainly keeps erosion down. Um, if the grass can't grow, it grows just fine. Yes. I will say when pulling it, you, you kind of get that real big plant, and it's kind of satisfying. You pull out this big chunk. <laughs> you, kind of, you kind of get large patches cleaned out kind of quickly yes. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Our next question is from Tim. So he wants to spray weeds to establish prairie plants. And he's asking specifically about spraying plateau. Oh, yes. Yes, um, certainly um, for prairies, um, using a herbicide can um, really reduce the risk and, and time uh, required for establishing uh, those plant, plants, rather, um, because you are um, helping to control those competing weeds. Um, so really, you know, what herbicide you use depends on what your target weeds are for the area. Uh, I know that um, Plateau is commonly used in prairie restoration and establishment, um, so, so it is a good choice. Um, the active ingredient in Plateau is a Mazepic, and it's really kind of a versatile product. Um, it can be used pre-emergent or post-emergent, and it offers residual control. Um, it can selectively control annual and perennial grasses, broadleaves, vines, uh, including bindweed, uh, other problematic uh, weeds like tall fescue, foxtails, crabgrass, uh, and many others. 
and it can even remove grass from other grasses, um, which is uh, tricky sometimes. Um, and there, there has been a lot of research on plateau uh, use in prairies showing some of the, the different benefits. Um, and there are um, several tolerant uh, prairie grasses um, that um, are listed on that label that can handle these applications. So big blue stem, little blue stem and Indian grass, just to, to mention a few. Um, you do need to be careful though, um, because if you have um, switchgrass, um, that is one species that can be injured um, by this product. So it is important that you um, you know all of your species that you're trying to protect, uh, as well as um, maybe you know know some of your your major species that you're trying to control too. Um, but uh, plateau can be applied broadcast or uh, as a spot application. Um, it uh, can be on the pricier side, uh, so I would encourage you to to shop around there. Um, and and there are some other uh, herbicide options too that you could use in a prairie. Um, some that are grass selective uh, include things like cethoxidem, fluazifop, and clefidem. And these can be used to control any cool season weeds um, that tend to be problematic, like quackgrass, Kentucky bluegrass, um, and smooth brome grass. Uh, and then, of course, you'd want to make those applications when your warm season grasses are are still dormant. So I would think you'd still have a little bit of time, although the temperatures are warming up and things are going to start to grow here pretty fast. Um, I know, too, uh, with prairies, and, and by the way, I am not an expert on prairies at all, um, but uh, I know that, of course, um, there are a few things that you want to keep in mind if you are maybe establishing a prairie, um, you know, choosing the um, the right type of site and, of course, making sure that's prepared properly using quality seed, um, you know, maybe establish your grasses first and then wait, you know, two to three years to establish your wildflowers. And then, of course, um, maintenance, looking for weeds is is um, always going to be um, a task that you'll you'll need to do because um, weeds will take advantage of any open spaces that you have out there. And so, um, you know, weed control, certainly uh, hand removal uh, could be an option for you. Um, or, you know, of course, our, our trusty herbicides, uh, maybe some spot treatments with glyphosate, of course, could be used as well. All right. Uh, next question is from Carrie in McDonough County, um, and she wants to know uh, what can be used to control weeds around chickens and ducks. Chickens and ducks. Interesting. Um, so, you know, we typically tell uh, our applicators and homeowners to, to read and follow all label directions. Of course, chickens and ducks aren't discussed specifically on pesticide labels, like often we find that maybe cattle or dogs are. Um, however, um, I would still encourage you, I guess, to, to look at the label. Um, there will be a section there on precautionary statements. It's the, it's usually in the, oh, usually a page or two into the label, the second major section of the label, precautionary statements. And in that, you can find uh, guidance on um, how long to keep uh, domestic animals out of um, the area. Uh, certainly, the label will probably tell you to keep animals out during application. 
Um, and then often there's a specified amount of time. If there's not, um, then you would keep those animals out until the sprays have dried. Um, I would also recommend that um, you uh, do not use granular formulations, um, as those could be mistaken for grit or insects um, that your birds might pick up accidentally. Um, also, uh, another place to look on the herbicide label would be the environmental hazards section um, to see if that product is toxic to birds. Um, and, and another good resource to, uh, to contact would be the National Pesticide Information Center. Um, so they have an excellent website that has fact sheets available on uh, commonly used uh, pesticides, and they discuss toxicity to birds um, on those fact sheets. Um, so just a few that I have seen um, that would mention uh, birds, um, uh, they've done some research with 2,4-D where they found that um, if they sprayed the eggs, um, the um, chicks still hatched and they uh, appear to be normal. Um, however, uh, some studies with triclopyr, um, and there were some long-term exposure studies, uh, found that um, using the acid form of that herbicide um, uh, resulted in a potential uh, uh, eggshell thickness um, was, was affected. Um, in contrast, glyphosate, another commonly used herbicide, um, is low in toxicity to birds. Um, and then one last one I noticed was dicamba, another commonly used herbicide, uh, certainly in turf grass situations. Um, the salt forms of this product that um, they found are not likely to hurt birds if they're eaten, um, but the acid form uh, is slightly or moderately toxic to birds. Um, but certainly I'd recommend that um, you call uh, NPIC, that, that uh, National Pesticide Information Center, uh, they have a hotline where you can call and you can speak with one of their trained toxicologists and um, discuss your issue firsthand. And they're trained to really evaluate the risk of your particular situation. And they can speak more about any specific products that you would have in mind. Of course, if using a herbicide concerns you, uh, you could always use um, hand removal, uh, mowing, trimming um, certainly could be used. Um, maybe get some goats. Uh, I hadn't thought of that till just now. You get some goats to uh, mow those areas for you. Diversify your livestock options. I like that. <laughs> and in McDonough County, we also do have access to uh, free uh, wood chips at our yard waste disposal facility. And I know chickens at least love to scratch and putting down a layer of mulch might might make them even happier, and so that could be another option. So for our last question, we have Evie from McDonough County wanting to know, how do you control Creeping Charlie in lawns? Oh, Creeping Charlie in lawns, that is the million dollar question. Um, creeping Charlie is a challenging one to control. Um, it's also known as ground ivy, and um, actually, um, has been sold. In fact, I just saw the other day, you can still buy it online um, as a as a ground cover. Um, I've seen it in um, hanging baskets as well. Um, and it, you know, it makes a fantastic ground cover. The, the problem is, is that it just doesn't know when to stop growing. And um, then we'll form, a, you know, a very dense 
um, patchy brown cover. Um, so ground ivy is, it's a mint and it has square stems. And so as those uh, stems creep along the ground, they will root into the ground. And so if you've got ground ivy growing in a turf grass situation, um, of course you would want to uh, adjust your cultural practices to help improve your turf health and, and density. So um, things you could do, you know, maybe increase your mowing height to three inches or more. Fertilize that turf grass, um, maybe overseed in the fall uh, or make sure that you're watering properly. And of course, you'd want to make sure you've chosen the right type of turf grass for that area so that it um, uh, is you've chosen something that is well suited for that location um, because ground ivy really prefers shady areas. Um, so it just could be that you need another type of turf grass there or maybe you need another type of ground cover that can tolerate those areas, um, all the shade that's there perhaps. Um, and it could be maybe that you are able to just um, prune the trees in that area to let a little more light into that area. That could help. Um, however, the bad news is, is that sometimes Creeping Charlie and uh, Ground Ivy uh, is able to move into uh, sunnier conditions and um, do just fine. Um, so that's the bad news. Um, as far as controlling it, um, hand pulling can work as a short term fix. Um, I have seen, um, I have a neighbor that um, has a, a dethatching rake that she uses to quickly uproot Creeping Charlie. Um, now, if you uproot those plants, of course, you would want to remove them from the site so they don't reroot. And keep in mind, too, that Creeping Charlie can spread by rhizomes. And so your hand removal uh, likely won't remove the entire plant. So that's where herbicides come into play. Um, if you are trying to control it uh, when it's growing in a cool season grass, um, some of the better controls the research has shown uh, include fluoroxapyr and triclopyr. And, and actually 2,4-D uh, is, is one that provides better control too. Um, but these products tend to do best um, as standalone products. Um, uh, certainly you can find these in many two, three, and four-way products, um, but um, standalone tends to be best. Or, you know, if you find a combination of just those two products, uh, those are available too. And um, some of these products may or may not be available to homeowners. So you'll have to really check to see what they have at your garden center. And um, I, certainly you can get 2,4-D. Uh, you should be able to get triclopyr too. Um, so as far as application timing, uh, really about now is a good time to make those applications. Um, I know uh, ground ivy was in bloom uh, a week or two ago. Uh, the days have run together. Um, but uh, just after um, bloom time or right at bloom time, that's going to be a good time to make those applications. And then oftentimes a second application will be required. Um, so at three to four weeks after the first application. And as I mentioned, ground ivy is challenging to control. So plan to come back and hit it again in the fall uh, with one or two applications. 
Um, if you uh, really want to control it and remove it from your lawn, you need to be persistent with it. Um, do keep in mind that these products can provide injury to sensitive plants. Um, so you want to watch your weather conditions very carefully, um, you know, um, read and follow those labels very carefully as well. Um, when you're using any pesticide, make sure you read and follow those labels. Um, as far as pre-emergent products go for um, this weed, really, um, we don't see the pre-emergent products uh, provide much of a noticeable difference, I guess, if you will, simply because this is a perennial weed. So I think you'll find your best results with a post-emergent product. Um, and I want to mention, too, uh, I know I've been asked several times over the years about using um, homemade mixtures that contain borax, uh, where the active ingredient is boron, uh, to control ground ivy. And I always say that these are just simply not recommended. Uh, these products um, have been or they have provided inconsistent uh, control um, and certainly long term damage can result to the soil if you uh, apply too much of it. Uh, so really, it's uh, it's just not worth uh, the risk. Uh, I would always recommend that you use a, a commercial product that has that safety information on that label, tells you exactly what the rate needs to be, and I think you'll have your best results there. I think that's another book we could all write is the Home Remedy book. <laughs> yes. The Creeping Charlie question comes up when I'm teaching topics that are totally unrelated to weeds or lawns or anything like that, because it seems like something everybody is dealing with. It's on their minds. I just I tell people to embrace it. My my yard was my yard was beautiful a couple of weeks ago, nice and purple. You could hear the bees buzzing in it. Yeah. And I've had that too. I had uh someone call one time and, and she said, Do I have to control it? <laughs> Heavens no. <laughs> go with it. You you don't have to fight this fight. You know, if you're okay with it, go with it. Well, As a weed scientist, Michelle, do you like a, a clean yard, or do you care if you have dandelions and creeping Char creeping Charlie in your yard? I have all kinds of weeds in my yard, and <laughs> I'm okay with it. As long as it's green, I'm okay with it. Um, and actually, knock on wood, um, I do not have creeping Charlie in my yard. Uh, my neighbors have it. It's in the cemetery just down the road. Um, but for some reason, I don't have it yet. Uh, I hope not to jinx myself by saying that out loud. I can bring you some if you want some. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> well, that was a lot of great information. Thank you so much, uh, Michelle. And, and don't you have, uh, is there a webinar coming up? I think where you, if people want to learn more or hear more about some specific types of weeds uh, that you'll be uh, teaching? Yes. Um, I have a webinar scheduled um, on June 11th. Uh, it's called What's in My Backyard? Weed Identification. And I'm going to talk about, um, I think, just a few. I think we're only limited to 30 minutes. So we're just going to talk about uh, like five of the top weed problems that um, folks encounter in their backyards. So it should be fun. 
and we can post a link to that registration. And you know, these days our webinars have been filling up. Uh, if it's filled up, we can also post a link in the show notes to the uh, where the recording will be posted. So, well, once again, Michelle, thank you so much. Um, I want to ask our listeners if you still have questions, you're welcome to send them to us. Uh, I will put Katie Ken and my email down below also you're welcome to get in touch with us and we were going to have michelle back because the weeds don't stop so thank you michelle very much for being on the show you are welcome thank you All right, and thank you very much ken and katie as always for being with us on the good growing podcast thank you chris and michelle yeah thank you all righty. And then that is all that we have for today. We do appreciate it. We will have the show posted up and then we will have another one for you next week. So as always, keep on growing. Thanks for listening.